People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Welcome to another episode of Premier League Insights as we prepare for game week three of the Premier League. I'm joined by Jake Osgathorpe and we're here to use the InfoGold model to help break down the betting markets and see if there's any value on offer. How are you, Jake? Yeah, very well, thank you, Ben. Just uh, just trying to count up how many goals there were over the over the last weekend. I think 44 in total, which is a new record. And those 44 goals came from 32.3 expected goals. So some really clinical finishing um, as a group of Premier League players, I think we calculated that there's around a 0.8% chance um, of, of there being 44 goals scored from from those chances. So really, really clinical finishing from all. And hopefully that continues because we enjoy seeing a lot of goals. Yeah, definitely would have been a good weekend for the over betters. Good weekend for, for fans as well who enjoy the goals. And I guess from a, an info goal and, and pinnacle perspective, it was an all right one. I think we both went one from two with our predictions from last week. You guys were let down by Wolves at the draw in the City game, where, where Pinnacle had under 2.5 as well. Um, but we both did manage to get something out of the Chelsea-Liverpool game with info goal, getting the both teams to score no and Pinnacle getting the Liverpool win. So we're 50% strike rate on last week. But um, what game are you picking today for the info goal highlight fixture? Um, it's quite a tough one. I think there's, there's two standout games, obviously. Um, Liverpool-Arsenal on the Monday, Manchester City versus Leicester. Uh, on the Sunday, but from in terms of a value perspective and a bet that I do like, I'm, I'm going to be going for West Brom versus Chelsea, uh, which is a Saturday 5.30 game. Right, well, Pinnacle is is going with one of those games that you also mentioned, Liverpool versus Arsenal. So we'll get on to those predictions shortly. But in the meantime, are you ready to run through the rest of the fixtures? Yeah, let's get started. Right, so we got Brighton versus Manchester United as our first game and two very contrasting results for these two at the weekend. Brighton got that comfortable win away at Newcastle, while Manchester United were beaten 3-1 at home to Crystal Palace. There's not really too much to say about the Brighton game for me, really. We knew they were a decent size, they looked good against Chelsea, and it felt like a, a good performance and result was coming for them. As for Manchester United, I didn't watch the game, I must admit. I saw the scoreline and I kind of, this morning, thought I'd be saying, oh, they were unfortunate to lose, they didn't convert their chances, but... In truth, they barely created anything and uh, against the Palace side who who looked really poor last season but have now actually come out flying in those first two games. Um, we're still always going to see Manchester United as the favourite. They're currently 1.819 with Brighton priced at 4.74. We've got a total at 2.5 and only a slight lean from betters to the over. I personally would have expected maybe a little bit more than that. But, but what are your thoughts on this one? It, it should be a test for United, but can they bounce back? Um, they've got they've got a chance. Uh, I think what you said first, the fact that this is going to be a test, is is one hundred percent true. I think Brighton are a team that have been underestimated again this season. Uh, we saw that when they played Chelsea. They went off around five to one um, at, at home, and and they really did put on a, a, a decent display in which they arguably should have de- deserved at least a point from. And then they go off at nearly two to one away at Newcastle and absolutely romp up um, a comfortable win. The, the new system that Graham Potter's implemented, a, a back five or a back three with, with wing-backs, does seem to get the best out of the players that he has available. Lamptey's been really impressive down the right-hand side. 
Solly March as well on the left-hand side in terms of wing-backs. And it's allowed them to, to be a bit more creative in, in the attacking third. I think Morpai, Connolly and Trossard all started at the weekend against Newcastle, which um, you know really does improve the chances of, of scoring and creating chances. And, and yeah, it was a really impressive display from Brighton. And they're going to be a really tricky op- opponent for pretty much every team for the, throughout this Premier League season. And as for Man United, I think there was, there was a lot of rust in there. Um, you looked at the team lineup. I've got to say, I, I was quite bullish on a United win um, before I saw the team lineups. Then and then uh, after I saw the, the team that he was playing, I, I did get a little bit worried. Um, you know, it's something we've spoke about a lot both last season and and in the, uh, the preseason pod. The fact that the 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 drop off from United's first team players to to the bench is a massive drop in quality. You know. I think Fosu Mensah is, is a very capable fullback, but he doesn't give you what Wan Bissaka does in terms of that solidity. Um, for me, McTominay, although he did have a, you know, he, he was based on Infocol's player ratings, Man United's best player at the weekend. I, I do think that Nemanja Matic brings a lot more to that team than, than McTominay does with, with Matic playing some really important, um, decisive through balls from deep midfield to the likes of Pogba and Fernandes in advanced positions. McTominay doesn't quite do that. Um, and obviously, Mason Greenwood didn't start the game, which meant Dan James came in. And he is, you know, in terms of quality drop, I think it's a massive drop from uh, Greenwood to Dan James, just purely because um, Greenwood's got that clinical instinct. He's got a little bit more control to his game. uh, And I think he understands the position a little bit better. So um, I think that the game against Palace really did underline um, the fact that, that United do need to strengthen the squad possibly even the first team. Obviously, Van der Beek got off to a, um, a good start in terms of coming on, scoring a goal. But, you know, on the whole, United were outplayed. I think the you know the, the early goal really did set the tone in that one. And then they had the, I, I, I'm going to say bad fortune because I didn't think it was, you know, a, a very obvious penalty. Lindelof, he's just, he's, his arm's in, in a fairly natural position, I think, and it's, it's just struck it and, you know, I, I thought that this season that the rules would be that it would have to be a clear and obvious handball rather than it just hitting the hand. So a little bit harsh, and then obviously the penalty retake as well, just to add, um, you know, it just compound that misery. <clears throat> but I thought the game was perfectly played by Palace, uh, playing on the counter attack, and, and I think that that is something that you can hurt this United team with. And um, you, Brighton have got the capabilities to do that, but I think that they also like to dominate the football. Uh, we saw that against Chelsea and Newcastle, where they really did enjoy uh, the majority of the possession. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them do something similar here. Obviously, these two met post-break and, and United won comfortably. They were on a, a bit of a roll at that point. So it'll be interesting to see how um, how that sort of corresponds to this game. <clears throat> we make Manchester United 55% favourites. Um, and it does look as though there's been a slight overreaction to that Crystal Palace defeat in, in the market. Um, United uh, around one, what do you say, one point seven five, one point eight for the win. Um, we think that that's going to be well a, de- a small amount of value, really, in, in an away win at fifty five percent for United to bounce back. I think that again, for me, the team lineups are, c- are crucial when Man United are playing. I think when they've got a full strength team out, uh, which for me includes Matic at the base of that that three. I think United are, are one of the better teams in the league, but as soon as you you, you replace a couple of those players. Um, then they're very gettable as a team. And, and I think that you would see those odds drift a little bit. United to win is a small value play. In terms of the over-unders, obviously we, we spoke about the fact that we had such a high scoring weekend um, last week. 
we're actually siding with the unders on this one. You said the market is pretty much split at, at 2.5. and uh, the, the model is 48% chance of overs and 52% chance of unders. So there is a small amount of value and go with the under 2.5. And uh, it's a bet that I'm not too keen on, but I could see it landing given the fact that Brighton will look to control the play. And, uh, and I think that the last time these two met, it was only a, a sensational counter-attacking goal that, that took the game over 2.5. So uh, there is a chance of the unders and, and, and it does represent a small amount of value. And the both teams to score as well. Um, 53% chance of both teams to score on the market. The model's at 49%. It's siding with both teams to score no, which again, I'm quite, in, uh, quite surprised at, given the fact that Brighton... Uh, last season and and this season have shown that they are strong in attack but also very vulnerable at the back um, so yeah, we're, we're signing with both teams to score no as a small value play. For me, out of the three, um, I would probably prefer to, to be on Manchester United to get the win I think that they've still got the quality um, to, to go there and get, a, get a, a comfortable win as they did only a couple of months ago and I think they'll bounce back um, but make no mistakes about it, Brighton won't make it easy for them Right, well, our next game is Crystal Palace versus Everton and we've got two of the, the form sides of the Premier League coming up against each other here. They're both two from two and actually, I must say, they both look pretty good. Um, I'm not sure how long Crystal Palace's run will last, but Everton in the two games were kind of seen two different sides to them. They they controlled the game, the game against a, a team like Tottenham. They also took the game to their opponent in that 5-2 win against West Brom. Now, there are, there is the obvious red card caveat that goes alongside that but they they do look very good going forward I think when you've got the the nailed on Ballon d'Or winner in Hammers Rodriguez in your team it's it's all going to be quite easy isn't it but um I mean jokes aside Everton do look good um we've been in this position before they were they were touted as a top six consent contender year in year out in the previous kind of three four seasons they've then dropped away or never really threatened so I think it's a case of Let's wait a few more games before we we buy into the hype, I think. Um, we have got another away favourite in the market here, Everton, at 2.11. So that puts them at around about 46% chance of the win. Palace at 3.79, so a 26% chance for them. And you can get the draw at 3.43, which is the remaining 28%. Um, a fairly low total, considering what we saw from Everton at the weekend. 2 and 2.5, and, and it's another one where the market is is pretty evenly split as well. Um, is there any value on offer here, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a fair amount of, uh, of value. I think the Everton performances against um, Spurs and, uh, and West Brom have been slightly overhyped. I think that the price has been uh, crashed as a result of that. I think they're a little bit too short for, for my money um, at Selhurst. I think that the fair favourites to get the victory... Obviously, Crystal Palace um, also been really strong since the restart. Uh, sorry, since the start of the season, they've won both the games uh, and won, won the XG battle in both of those games, which is something that we didn't see too often from them last season. So, uh, positive signs for Crystal Palace, who were touted as relegation fodder, really, for um, by most people. Obviously, they've made some interesting signings. They're bringing in um, a couple of more players through the door. Uh, you know, hopefully, Batshuayi's come in. Um, Eberet Chiesi is a player that we haven't seen too much of just yet, but he's an exciting player that's come in, and yeah, it's, it's been it's been very positive from a Palace perspective. I think the way that they set up and played against Manchester United was actually quite uh, refreshing. It wasn't so much a deep line um, defense as it was 
a you know quite a comfortable attacking unit. Um, MacArthur and McCarthy in the middle provide mobility, um, as well as being able to advance the ball. Uh, Schlupp and Townsend provide the the width and and the pace down the flanks, and and Zahar's got the license to just float and do what he wants and do do what he does best, which I think does get the best out of him. Um, and I, uh, Andre Ayew. He provides, you know, pretty much a bit of everything. He uh, runs in behind. He holds the ball up well. He's got tricky feet and he's got an eye for a goal. So I do like the the way that, that Roy Hodgson's setting them up at the moment. Um, and then you look at the bench, and it, and it is, you know, they, they've got options now. Um, Milivojevic can, can come in and, and play as a holding midfield player to break the play up. Max Meyer's a bit more of a creative type. Uh, Batshuayi is a, you know, he's a he's a um, a bit of a goal poacher. He gets himself in really good scoring positions, as we've seen year in, year out. Um, and obviously, Eze can come on and play in any of those positions out wide or, or down the middle uh, and make a serious impact. So they're, they're looking a really strong team coming in, uh, into this season. I think that, like I said, the approach that Hodgson's taken is, is refreshing and hopefully it continues because they have a really good chance of uh, of having another strong season if, if that is the case. And obviously, the same with Everton. You know, the win at Tottenham was a really good, impressive performance. I think the the win against West Brom was obviously expected, but the the manner of the victory was really impressive. I think um, they went two one up before the red card, so they were in the ascendancy uh, prior to the red card as well. They'd racked up over two expected goals, so it wasn't like that West Brom were keeping the game tight. But um, yeah, Everton really put the foot down in, in the second half and, and went for the kill, and obviously created plenty of good chances and scored a, a few more goals. So. Um, yeah, exciting times at Everton. I, I really like the shape that Ancelotti's got them playing in. I think he gets the best out of all the players that he's got available. Um, and yeah, I think that they're rightly favourites to win this, but I think they're a little bit too short at the current prices and um, I wouldn't put anyone off opposing them and, and getting Crystal Palace on side. Um, Palace or the draw, perhaps. I think that'd be slightly odds on, but I think that'd be a fair, a fair bet given uh, that they are a tough team to play against at home. In terms of the goal market, um, given the fact that we've just seen Palace win 3-1 at Old Trafford, I am a little bit surprised to see the unders um, at a very short price. Obviously, we saw Everton involved in a seven-goal thriller as well. Um, but the unders is at 59%. I think that that's probably a little bit too short. Um, the model's got it pretty much spot on. But personally, I think that that goal line could be a little bit higher given the fact that what we've seen from Palace so far has been um, some really strong attacking displays. Um, the both teams to score market, 50-50 split down the middle according to uh, the market. Uh, we're 54% chance of both teams to score no. So we are siding with uh, one or both teams keeping a clean sheet. Um, I could see that happening. I could see a, a, a narrow 1-0 Everton win. I could see a 0-0 draw. Um, I could see you know, pretty much anything happening. It's so early to, to, to have a, a clear opinion on these two teams, especially given the fact that they have played um, a couple of decent sides. I mean, Southampton were rated quite highly uh, by many pre-season. Palace beat them quite comfortably and then obviously beat Manchester United, who we forecast to finish third. Um, so two really good results for Palace and obviously Everton have, have gone to Spurs and, and got a very, well, for them, a very rare away win um, at a top six team. So, yeah, it, it's going to be an intriguing game. I, I think both teams score no could be a really interesting play. Um Odds again, uh, slightly odds on, but that's where the main value is. But you know, I think for me, the best pl- the best bet is to oppose Everton and uh, and get on board with Crystal Palace or the draw. Right, so we get on to West Brom versus Chelsea, and another game, another away favourite, and a, a pretty short one at that. Chelsea are one point three nine two, 
Um, so that puts them at a 70% chance of getting the three points. West Brom at 8.51 and, and just an 11% chance of the home win then. Um, I think it's easy to see why the market looks like it does when you consider West Brom's performances. They've already conceded eight goals, given up 6.75 XG um, just from those opening two games. And I think, although it sounds strange to say, probably even even more worrying is the fact that they've notched up just 0.81 XG themselves across two matches. Um, We have got a a short price on Chelsea and, and people are going to be looking at the fact that they probably got away with one against Brighton. They were they were never really in the game against Liverpool, and I mean they did have ten men for half the game. Their, their goalkeeper made yet another howler to to cost them the goal. <laughs> um, I think it's hard to assess where where they're at, given there was so much hype around them and all those transfers before the start of the season. But they're they're obviously going to be, be expected to win this comfortably. But I mean, for some, it might be difficult to see that at the price they're listed at in the market. I think anyone maybe looking for the the alternative will, will probably be drawn to the goals market with a total of three. Um, plenty of money for the under, so maybe looking towards the over for the value play. But it's the it's the InfoGo highlight fixture for this weekend. So so what are you going for here and why? Um, I'm going for both teams to score, um, and the reason for that is Kepper mainly. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Um, he is one of the reasons. But Chelsea have been um, defensively vulnerable since the restart. That hasn't changed one bit. Um, they looked really second best, I thought, to Brighton. Um, and according to non-penalty expected goals, they were. They conceded 1.3 non-penalty expected goals while creating just 0.6. So, um, and then followed that up, obviously, with a with a comfortable defeat um, at the hands of Liverpool. I think they conceded 2.5 expected goals in that game. So, um, you know, there is huge question marks still for me around this defence uh, at Chelsea. Obviously, Marcos Alonso is still playing at left-back with Chilwell out injured. Uh, I think Thiago Silva could be back for this, which is obviously a, a minor boost, given that Christensen is suspended. But for me, I think that what we're going to see in this game is um, is Chelsea have a go and, and, and try and rack up a few more chances. I think that in, in turn will leave them uh, more vulnerable and, and West Brom could catch them on the counter-attack like they did Everton uh, at the weekend. Obviously, the West Brom... Have lost both of their matches by a three-goal margin. Uh, they've looked vulnerable themselves defensively. Uh, they've looked shocking, in fact. Um, three expected goals to Leicester, nearly four expected goals to Everton. Uh, they do look like um, a bit more, kind of like the whipping boys, really, of the Premier League so far. Um, they've been hit, obviously, by two really strong teams. I think Leicester finished sixth in our XG table last season. Everton finished seventh, so... Two strong teams they've come up against. It doesn't get any easy for them. Chelsea finished third in our XG table last season. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a baptism baptism of fire for Slavan Bilic's side. And I, I think they will, will be comfortably beaten here. But I think they can get on the score sheet against uh, a Chelsea team that are defensively vulnerable. Uh, in terms of the 1x2, the market's got them. Chelsea, obviously, short favourites, as you mentioned. We, we think that they're slightly too short. At the current prices, we're giving them a 59% chance of winning compared to the market's 69%. Um, overs is, is pretty much in line with what, what we're expecting, but both teams to score is, as I said, where we're finding most of our value. We're 50-50 on the market, uh, the both teams to score. Uh, we're 53% chance of both teams to score, yes, which um, is obviously why I'm putting it forward as, as, as one of the main plays. It's a decent bit of value, and, and yeah, that I just find there's so many question marks about Chelsea still. I, I think Lampard is... Getting too much of an easy ride at the moment. Uh, I think the way that he's playing the team, the team that he picked at the weekend, for example, 
um, just didn't make any sense to me. You know, you've got Werner, Havertz and Mount trying to play as a front three. Um, you know, you've got Hudson-Odoi sat on the bench. Why don't you play him out wide and, and play Werner in off that left channel and play Havertz as a false nine, which is what he played for Leverkusen quite a lot last season. So um, selection issues for me. I, I don't think he knows his best team. Um, even when all his players are fit, I don't think he'll know his best team because he's got that many good players. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm just not, I'm not sold on, on this whole... Uh, Chelsea revolution. I don't. I, from what I've seen so far, I know it takes time for players to settle in and bed in. But from what I've seen so far, it's been very, very un- underwhelming, and it does have me questioning Lampard's ability as a as a coach because the way they've been playing. Um, I know a lot of people were saying that they played well against Liverpool in that first half. I didn't see it that way. I didn't see them threatening one bit. Um, I thought Liverpool. It was just a matter of time before Liverpool scored, and obviously when the red card did happen, you know, there's only one winner of that game, but. You know, they've had two penalties in two games. Um, that could be an angle. Obviously, West Brom gave up two penalties against Leicester. Uh, that if, if you can get odds on, on a penalty to be awarded, that could be, a, as I said, an interesting angle. Werner is, is a dangerous penalty box player with lightning speed. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Chelsea get another penalty here. But they really need to create more from open play. Um, and this is the perfect opponent for them to do that. So I think you you kind of referenced the potential selection issues for Chelsea when we did our our preview pod a few weeks back. Do you think when Ziyech and and Pulisic come back or are in kind of back to to full fitness, do you think Havertz then naturally drops in at that number ten and there isn't so much potential for for changing things around and chopping and changing to try and find that best eleven? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, in my head anyway, the that that is exactly the case. I think the the best eleven is, is you know, obviously another goalkeeper other than Kepper. I think Mendy, the Mendy deal should be done soon. Uh, that'd be a little bit of a boost. Hopefully, he doesn't turn into be, um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a flop as well. Um, but Chilwell obviously would come in at left, left, uh, left back. Then it's you know Thiago Silva's probably going to be one of the the mainstays you would imagine in that centre back pairing. Um, you've got Zuma, Rudiger, Christensen, and, and Tamori to choose from. I can't pick one or the other as being a better than the rest uh, I think Reese James is a solid right back your midfield two then is probably going to be Kante and Jorginho although I'm not Jorginho's biggest fan um, I, I like what Kovacic brings with his driving runs through the midfield yeah and then Havertz in behind Werner with Zayek and uh, Pulisic I think that really on paper anyway that looks like for me the strongest 11 that's what I'd go with um, but yeah I, I just I can see Lampard doing a lot of tinkering um, and you know, switching in and out of maybe even formations and personnel, which I don't think would be very good for this Chelsea team. I think they need to be settled. They need to be playing football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday and uh, talking about how impressive Graham Potter is as a coach uh, and how if Graham Potter was given the same players as what, what Frank Lampard's got at Chelsea, how I would expect Potter to do a lot better than what Lampard is doing at the moment. And um, I do think he's getting... He's been given an easy ride, really. Um, obviously, the, we talk about the fact that they did make the top four last season. They did make, obviously, the FA Cup final. Uh, Lampard didn't have a transfer window because he was obviously, uh, they had a transfer ban. But he'd still got a, a squad of players that are predominantly a, a full squad of players that, that had finished third the year before um, and that had won the Europa League. So it wasn't like he was taking over a sinking ship. He was taking over a, a ship that was very stable and very steady. And <clears throat> in the end, they only just managed to scrape into a, a top four spot. So, 
yeah, I do have my my, my doubts about Lampard as a, as a coach, and, and that's definitely something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Well, yeah, we'll have to see what happens as as time goes on. For this game specifically, though, Pinnacle's been uh, fairly boring with a short price over two point five as their prediction. But we'll, as I said, we'll we'll, we'll always publish these on Twitter and, and keep track of things and see how we get on. Um, our next game though is Burnley versus Southampton and. Burnley got their season underway with, I mean, if you look at the result, it probably looked like a poor performance, given it was it was 4-2. Um, Leicester, pretty clinical. It's one of those ones where you also, I found myself looking at the XG this morning. It said 1.33 to Leicester, 1.32 to 1.43 to Burnley, sorry. And I'm still not sure that tells the whole story either, because Leicester did look pretty comfortable in the game once they had that lead. Um I mean, it's if that was if that was a strange one, I, I have no idea what to say about Southampton. That was one where they won the XG battle, two point four seven to Tottenham's two point two four, but Tottenham and and Heung-Min Son were just on fire in front of goal. Nine shots, six on target, and five goals. Um, four for Son, one for Harry Kane. It's just, I mean, it's ridiculous. There's not much more you can say about it, but it's. It's still two losses from two for Southampton. They're going to be desperate for a win. There's some some rumblings on at Burnley with potential transfers. We've talked a little bit before about Sean Dyche. They're obviously going to want to get a win themselves as well. Um, the odds are signing with Southampton here. 43% chance of them getting the three points at 2.32. Burnley are priced at 3.32, so they've got a 30% chance. How do you break this one down? Is it... We talked before the start of the season about Southampton could be the one to watch. They've kind of they haven't really done well so far. Is is this the game where they they impress and, and get a good result? It could be, um, but I am baffled at these prices. Uh, I, given what we've seen from Southampton, very surprised to see them favourites here. Um, you know, Burnley that defeat at Leicester was just their third in seventeen Premier League games. Um, you know the three the three defeats came obviously at Leicester, who were the fifth sixth best team in our expected goal table last season. The other one came at Manchester City, um, uh, first came back after the restart, and then the the final defeat of those three out of seventeen was was at Brighton in the final game of last season. Um, a team that obviously we really like, so really tough team to beat Burnley, and I'm very surprised to see Southampton so short, given the fact that that they have looked incredibly vulnerable defensively in both of their matches so far this season. Um, you know, you're right that the, the XG total for the Spurs game is is bonkers. Really, um, I think Southampton were winning at the half-time XG 1.4 to 0.1, uh, and it was 1-1. So they've only got themselves to blame. Really, they should have had the game. Comfortably to bed um, at half time. Maybe should have been two 0 up. Obviously, Chadham's had a, a big chance that was saved uh, by Hugo Lloris and Spurs with their one shot um, went and, and equalised. And that was just a, a sign of things to come. Really, I think they came out of the second half. Uh, Hyun Min Son, I think, had in total I don't know, five shots in the game and, and scored four times um, from chances equating to one point four expected goals. So he was incredibly clinical with his chances. But what Spurs did really well was exploit that high line and um, they, they really didn't learn from the mistakes, Southampton. It happened, obviously, for the first goal, a really high line. Son goes through and scores. Uh, the second goal, it happened again. And then surely someone must have thought to themselves, right, we need to drop a little bit deeper here and just be aware of that threat. But they just carried on doing the same thing and, and getting caught out exactly the same. And, um, you know, that was something that we saw against Crystal Palace as well. 
uh, in the in the opening game. Obviously, we spoke about that last week. Palace had just five shots, but three of them were really big chances, um, and obviously one was taken. So, um, yeah, they've, they've got um, a problem, Southampton, in terms of the defensive side of the game, conceding too many easy chances over the top. I mean, uh, three big chances conceded last week against Spurs. Three big chances conceded to Crystal Palace, and if you keep doing that, you're going to get punished. Uh, Burnley are more than cap- capable of doing something similar. Um, Chris Wood, uh, Matej Vidra, uh, Ashley Barnes could be fit for this one, which I think would be a, a boost as well. Um, or Jay Rodriguez. So they've got the potential to be, you know, a really big threat to this Southampton defence. And yeah, to say that Southampton went off at around two point five uh, at Crystal Palace and, and they're around two point three at Burnley is little bit strange for me. I think that Burnley's probably a tougher place to go than Crystal Palace. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's for me, is the main play is just to oppose Southampton. Uh, in for goal, we've got Burnley as, as really strong favourites to win this at 41%. So, the, the, the huge price that you can get of, of a, a Burnley win really is uh, worth taking. I, I 100% think that. I didn't think they were bad against Leicester. The stats were um, pretty even in, in terms of well, pretty much everything apart from possession. I think that's what, by the eye test, it looked as though Leicester were on top because of that 62% possession to Burnley's 38. But everything else, uh, barring the, the passes, on <laughs> total passes, 620 for Leicester, 300 for Burnley. Um, you know, that shows you the pattern of the game, really. Leicester were on top. But in terms of the shots and, um, you know, the, the shots that were taken, Leicester had 14 um, and Burnley had 16. So, Burnley actually got off more shots. They racked up more expected goals marginally. And uh, I think that the key difference was that they missed their two best chances, which both fell to Chris Wood. Um, but given that that was their first game of the season back, I didn't think it was such a bad effort, really. And uh, I think they'll be better for that. And like I said, uh, for me, this is a really strong play. Is Burnley to, to get the win against Southampton? They've got a, you know, they did the double over them last season, won the, the, the home game 3 0 quite comfortably. Um, I think they, they might have gone off at a similar price, although they were much shorter last, last season at home, uh, around 13-8 to 8 compared to the 9-4 to 4, uh, in this match. And I don't think too much has changed, really. Um, so for me, I, I'm, I'm as I said at the start, I'm, I'm pretty baffled about these prices. I think that what we, what we saw from the back end of, of last season, if you remember, was Burnley going off as huge favourites at home to the likes of Watford, um, who was the other team that they played at home. They went they were such a big price, uh, around three to one. That seems to have carried on. It's almost like the the, the market really just just aren't rating them. Like Sheffield United, they went they went off at a massive price favourite, uh, massive priced underdogs, um, and, and nearly got that win. So that just seems to have carried over. It doesn't seem as much trust uh, in Burnley from the market, but I'm more than happy to give them a go here. Now we've got Sheffield United versus Leeds and. I don't really think alarm bells are going to be ringing for, for Sheffield United just yet, but they, they have lost two from two and perhaps more worrying, they, they haven't managed they haven't managed to find the back of the net either. Um, we know Wolves are a decent team. There's, there's not too much to, to worry about with that 2-0 loss, but I think if you're Chris Wilder, a red card, a missed penalty, it's it's really going to annoy you to to kind of not get anything out of that game against Villa when you've you've managed to hold on for so long and and just gave in one nil in the end. Um, but it it was really a it was a pretty poor game in truth. It wasn't a great one to watch, but 
I don't think that matters all too much because we're we're pretty much guaranteed a, a four three here, given that, <laughs> that Leeds are involved. But both of the Leeds games have, I mean, they've, they've just seen pretty clinical finishing. How they've how they've managed to score seven goals from chances equating to one point seven six expected goals, I really don't know. But one thing we do know for certain is that 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 kind of performance or that rate of scoring is is not sustainable. Um, they are favoured to get the win here at 2.60, which is a 38% chance. Pretty close, though, because you've got Sheffield United at 2.80 or, or a 36% chance. Um, and potentially Leeds' 4-3 thrillers have, have been cancelled out by Sheffield United's boring games in terms of the market's perception because the the under 2.5 goals is, is actually taking more of the action in the market at the moment. Um, so what do you what do you think here? Is it one... I mean, Sheffield United will will obviously want to get their season going with the win. Is it is it more about how good Sheffield United can be, or is it perhaps just that Leeds are being overestimated on the road here? What do you think? I think it's the latter. I think um, again, massively surprised to see Leeds favourites here. Um, Sheffield United were such a strong home team last season. Um, obviously, got beaten by Wolves in the first home match of this campaign, but it, you know that you know that's pretty much a um, you know, world fifth in our expected goal table for the last two years. We rate them as a top six team. That you know, to lose at home to Wolves is is not really um, you know a terrible result. It's pretty much what we expected. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm massively surprised to see Leeds favourites. I think that um, I wonder if it, you know the fact that the the manner of the performance um, at Anfield, the way that they took the game to Liverpool. <clears throat> I wonder if that's giving people a little bit. Um, or deceiving people slightly, it was that game. Although it was four three, was nowhere near um, as close as the scoreline suggests. Zero point three expected goals created from Leeds, three point one for Liverpool. Um, I just wonder if that's perhaps um, meaning or oh, making people think that Leeds are, are all of a sudden being able to challenge for a top half, top six finish. I'm not yet sold on that. I think that they've got a lot of improving to do. Obviously. Even the game at the weekend against Fulham, they conceded 1.9 expected goals, created just 1.4. It was only thanks to the clinical finishing that they actually went and and won that game. So nowhere near buying into that Leeds hype. Um, you mentioned there the ridiculous numbers that they're posting in terms of scoring. Uh, you know, Helder Costa scored twice from 0.16 expected goals. Um, Clicks scored twice from 0.88 expected goals. Bamford scored twice from 0.14 expected goals. I mean, that's a pl- uh, Bamford's a player that, that scored just 16 times from 24 expected goals last season in the cha- in the championship. So, fair to say he's cashing in his XG check, um, two shots or three shots for 0.14 expected goals, and he's coming away with two goals. Is Pretty spectacular, really, for a player that that was massively underperforming at the second tier. So, um, all of those sort of numbers very unsustainable over the course of the season, and I would not be surprised at all to see them, um, you know, go cold in front of goal um, over the next couple of weeks. Really, I think that this is a really tough game for Leeds. I think the prices, as I've said, for Leeds to win is is just ridiculous, really. Um, and it, it really does undermine what, what Sheffield United did last season and what they continue to do under Chris Wilder. I didn't think they were bad against Villa. Um, obviously, the red card is, is a massive game-changer. I thought it was a harsh red card, personally. Um, and then they get a penalty, which was obviously missed. But, you know, you can tell me the difference of, of what, you know, between the 
the Egan red card and, and why Target hasn't got a red card, even though he's the last man and Basham's about to put the ball in the net, um, then be my guess because I, I, I think that both incidents are very, very similar apart from one's really in the penalty and one hasn't. Um, surely they should both be red cards. But yeah, uh, Chris Wilder's right right to be absolutely seething at that. And and even after the red card, it wasn't a bad display really from, from United. They, they limited Villa to just 1.04 expected goals in the total match. So... They didn't concede one big chance. Um, I think that for me shows that they've still got that fighting spirit that'll never that'll never uh, never disappear um, for Sheffield United, and they have got the quality as well to go go and hurt teams. And I mentioned it last or earlier the fact that Sheffield United last season were a really really strong home team. They picked up ten wins from nineteen home matches. Their expected goal difference was the sixth best in in the Premier League in terms of home expected goal difference at eight, plus eight point five. Only margin behind Wolves at plus 13.9. So they were really, really impressive at home. Um, and the process at home was, uh, you know, understandably brilliant as well. So hugely surprised to see them second favourites. And uh, I'm more than happy to put them up as, as you know, as, as a value bet for a home win. I think the market, as you said, has them second favourites around 36%. The model's got them at 41% um, favourites to get this victory. So... Yeah, for me that that's the main play in this, and um, I know you, you made a joke about the four three there, but the 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 unders is the favourite, and the model does think there's actually value in back in the unders here, um, given the fact that Leeds' results. Uh, let's just say that the scoreline hasn't reflected the chances in the game, um, and we could see a, a bit of regression over the next few weeks, as I've mentioned. And both teams score no is also an interesting value play. Forty seven percent on the market, fifty two percent on the model. But for me, I'm more than happy to put Sheffield United up, although I'm not happy because I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan. But from a value perspective, the Blades are, are the play. Right, so we'll move on to Tottenham versus Newcastle. I mean, it, I think the, the theme of this podcast is going to be ridiculous finishing, but we won't go too much into that 5-2 again. But I think for from Tottenham's perspective, although it... The, the goals didn't come. I think, as I said earlier, it was kind of just over two two expected goals they put up against Southampton. So the five goals didn't come from masses of expected goals. But for them, the issue has been creating chances. They've got Kane and Son apparently playing well after just one game. But we'll see how long that run lasts. Gareth Bale <laughs> coming in as well. Um I think it's going to, the thing is, it, you laugh, it's going to be easy for people to get carried away and, and talk of top four again. I think we need to wait a while for that one. It's 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 been one good game. They've been poor for for eighteen months, so we'll have to wait and see. But obviously, a game like Newcastle is one that they can they can go into now, full of confidence, and and who knows, maybe notch up another impressive scoreline because Newcastle were, I mean, they were really bad for the most part of last season. They kind of turned things around a little bit towards the end. Um, they did what looked like some some good business in the summer. They then started well with that win against West Ham, which it, it looked like a decent performance, but kind of just went back to their old selves against Brighton. They created barely anything in front of goal. I mean, you're 2-0 down after seven minutes. You think you're going to chase the game and, and maybe kind of create some chances. I think the Wilson one was was really the only opportunity they had inside the box. I don't know about anything else, but... Um, Tottenham at the Tottenham are pretty short here. One point four six seven, sixty eight percent win probability for them. Newcastle is seven point three six, and that gives them a fourteen percent chance to win. Are are people buying too much into that Southampton result? Do you think, Jake? What are your thoughts on this one? 
I think so, yeah. I think there's a lot of buzz and hype around Spurs at the moment, and I think that the price is crashing as a result of that. Don't get me wrong, I'm pretty excited. Um, Gareth Bale's a you know top-quality player. Having him back in the Premier League is fantastic, really, for the league. be really interesting to see how he fits in with uh, Mourinho's Tottenham. Obviously, a very defensive-minded Tottenham. We saw that at the weekend against Southampton. They basically just sat in and counter-attacked and... Um, you know, picked Southampton uh, Southampton off and, and exploited the high line. That is not something that you would see um, every week, really, because I don't think that Spurs will have that luxury, um, especially this weekend against Newcastle. I'm expecting a, a low block from Newcastle and making it really difficult for Tottenham. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. Uh, that front three in particular, Son, Kane and Bale, really does um, stand out as, as having the potential to be really impressive um, and really threatening. But um, I, I actually like the the Reggion signing a little bit more than the Bale signing. I think that that left-back position is is an area that they needed to strengthen. I think Ben Davies is, is OK, but Reggion is, um, is a much better player than him in terms of both attacking and defending. So I'm, I'm much more impressed by uh, that acquisition. Uh, although I'm more excited, obviously, by the Bale one, just to see what what he can bring to the Spurs side. And um, yeah, what well, one thing is for sure, though, that they're going to have to really improve the process. Um, obviously, defensively, they were vulnerable throughout against Southampton. Southampton obviously dominated most of the football and really did create some good chances. And um, and that's something that we're seeing um, or we saw regularly last season, uh, and obviously something that we were seeing regularly again this time around with Everton having joy uh, in the opening game. Um, and also creating the chances. I know that it was a, you know, we've said it already, clinical performance by Spurs at St Mary's. They didn't create too many chances in terms of the number, but they did create quite a few quality chances. But most of the high quality chances came um, after the game was, uh, I think after they were 2-1 up. So uh, game state really did affect that expected goal total. And obviously the fact that Southampton were chasing did leave them even more exposed. So yeah, I'm still holding reservations about Tottenham, but I am excited to see what um, what happens next, really, now that, that Mourinho has brought a few big players in. Newcastle, um, yeah, really strange what's happening with them. Uh, a bit like Jackal and Hyde, two different teams turning up week in, week out. They were fantastic against West Ham, I thought. thought they were really impressive. Um, and then against Brighton, they were non-existent, pretty much. And uh, although I do see Brighton as a, a top-half team this season, um, or the potential to be a top-half team, the manner of the defeat was really, really worrying. Um, and yeah, massive cause for concern, really, for Steve Bruce. Uh, in terms of the value in this, I think Spurs, we've got them at 59% chance of winning. The market's at 66%. So there's not too, not any value at all in, in backing Spurs at the short price. But I wouldn't be confident in opposing them either, given what we've seen from Newcastle last week. The overs is, is pretty much in line with what we're expecting on the market, 54%. Uh, but both teams to score a small a small amount of value. Um, it's around 50% on the market, uh, 51%, 52% on the model. So both teams to score. I, I do think that's a, a decent play. Newcastle have the firepower. Um, you know, I think St. Maximan, he was a doubt. I didn't. It was a doubt to play midweek in the cup game. But I think he could be back fit, which is it, it, which would be obviously a really um, a big boost for them. Um, and let's not forget that Newcastle actually won here last season one nil. Um, I think it was Joe Linton scored what might have been his only Premier League goal of the season. So um, yeah, they, they've got good memories of coming to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but it's hard to see 
a repeat of that this time around. And, and I do think that we could be in for an entertaining game. Both teams to score. Um, it makes the most appeal for me. I just wonder with Newcastle as well. I think you've you've talked before about Alan St. Maximan and, and how important he is. I know he got injured at the weekend. Is is that maybe a concern in terms of their? I mean, they're they're limited in creativity anyway. But I know we're we're kind of talking one player and the potential impact they have. But do you think that's a worry for Newcastle? Um, it is a worry because he is obviously quite a big player for them, creative wise. But um, I think that. What we will probably end up seeing um, is a switch back to a back five. So I don't know if Jamal Lewis will be back. He'll be fit either after the uh, the whack that he took in the face. But um, a back, I think a back five would be uh, best suited to playing this Spurs team. In which case, you probably would want to play Carroll and Wilson as a two, and then keep the midfield three as Hendrick, Shelby, Hayden, um, and and slot another centre half in, uh, in in place of St. Maximan if he's not fit. If he is fit, then I'll be very tempted to place at Maximan instead of Carroll and, and just give him free reign to do what he wants. But um, yeah, they've got options. Uh, obviously, Ryan Fraser's in there uh, in there now. Matt Ritchie, who hasn't really got too much game time so far this season, but he's uh, very, very capable at creating uh, with his left foot. Miguel Almiron provides a, a, a threat in behind. So they, they've got options, but St. Maximan is undoubtedly their best creator uh, and he will be missed. Right, so now we've got Manchester City versus Leicester and... Pretty solid start to the season for Manchester City, I think. Wolves is, is always going to be a difficult game. They got that that two goal cushion pretty early, and we were we were chatting a little bit before we hit record today that it was a weird one because there was a period where Wolves looked really threatening, and and we both kind of said we looked at the figures this morning. See, Wolves's xG at 0.88 was a little bit of a surprise. Some of those chances potentially were were higher value with some circumstances to be considered, but. City then got that that late goal and sealed it, and three one looks pretty convincing. Um, in terms of Leicester, I I feel like I'm getting a little bit of deja vu already. Uh, top of the table, two convincing wins, perhaps another season where we're going to hear talk of them threatening the elite. Um, I think it's all very unlikely though over the the 38 game season, especially if they perform in the second half of the season like they did at the tail end of the last campaign. Um, and this is a game, obviously, it's going to be a real step up for them in their, their previous two games. Um, Pinnacle has Manchester City at 1.30 for this, a, a 77% chance of the win. Um, the total is also pretty high, as we've come to expect in the game involving City at 3 and 3.5. I mean, a short price, a high total. There's there's not many games where City aren't going to feature or the market isn't going to look like that for a City game. Um are you going to go against the market here or do you think those numbers are fair? Um, every number that you said there is pretty fair. Um, Man City probably a tad too short, I would say. Uh, you say 70, uh, 77% chance of a home win. We're at 68, but I still wouldn't be confident in opposing them, um, even though Leicester would be a small value play on the on the uh, plus 0.5 Asian handicap. Uh <clears throat> really impressive restart for for United, uh, for City. Really tough place to go, Wolves. Um, obviously, they have bad memories there as well, having drawn in eighteen nineteen and got beaten in uh, nineteen twenty. So to go there and, and win quite comfortably uh, in the end was was a really impressive result. Two point zero four expected goals created, zero uh, point eight conceded. They did have to withstand a, a little bit of a flurry of, of Wolves' chances, which ultimately led to. Um, Jimenez's goal but after that they really did look more comfortable and um, you know I, I think that they 
definitely put a marker down. Um, I think that's the one of the most impressive wins that we've seen in this early season. Um, like I said, we, we do rate Wolves very highly, so um, really impressive stuff. I thought Nathan Aki looked pretty assured. Um, John Stone still had his wobbly moments, but he looked pretty steady at centre-half. Uh, and then you've got you know your forward players who, who look exciting every time they get on the football. Likes of De Bruyne, Foden looks really, really, really good player. Um, this season, he's going to play more of a central role to to what they're doing. Um, obviously, Sterling and I think Gabriel Jesus deserves a mention. I think his all round game really is improving. Um, and you know, for him, glad for him that he got his goal in the end. Um, all his tireless work, so really impressive uh, display. Uh, Leicester have been equally as impressive in terms of their results, racking up seven goals um, over two. Two matches, albeit um, at West Brom, who we expect to be the whipping boys, and home to Burnley, who who were coming, who were basically playing their first game in in three months. So, a little bit of reservations about Leicester coming to to the, to the Etihad and actually making an impact in the game and, and upsetting Manchester City, but they look well placed to to have a, a, a you know another fairly strong season. It, it's, as I said, in terms of the goal markets, we're pretty much in line with with everything that, um, that, that the market is suggesting. Both teams to score. I mean, it's tiny value if you wanted to get on both teams to score. 61% chance of uh, both teams to score, yes, according to the model. The market's at 59%, so you are seeing small value, albeit a fairly short price. Um, the overs, over two and a half, pretty much banging in line. Understandably short at 71% on the market. Over three and a half is also um, it's around even money. So, you know, there's potential um, small value there to, to oppose the the over 3.5, back the unders. We're at 51% chance of under 3.5. Um, but yeah, I, I think out of this, it is hopefully going to be a really exciting game. I, I definitely see Leicester getting on the score sheet. So given that there's a small amount of value in, in both teams to score, I think that that probably would put that up as my best bet in this. I think that City still have... Um, you know, question marks defensively. Um, even though they did look a little bit more assured against Wolves, Wolves did have a, a really purple patch, as you as you did mention. Uh, and Leicester are more than capable of of creating chances and, and scoring goals from different you know different ways of playing. They could play on the counter attack with the speed of Barnes and Vardy, or or they can actually get the ball down and progress through the lines with um, you know the. The, the likes of Tielemans and Madison. So, um, it, you know, it's got the makings of an exciting game. I do expect a City win, but um, I think the both teams to score is the best play. Yeah, they certainly played through the lines. I think that Tielemans pass from the game against Burnley is already one pass of the season for me. You'd do better to, to see one better than that for the rest of the year. West Ham versus Wolves is our next game and, and West Ham looked a, they looked a lot better against Arsenal than they did in their opening game against Newcastle. Um they actually managed to threaten the opposition, which is always obviously a good start. Um, and again, it was it was Mikel Antonio who was central to most of the work, good work that they did. Um, they're definitely going to be disappointed to have not got something out of it. Um, they, they won the XG battle. And, and when you consider the, I mean, in a word, it's horrible, the the run of fixtures they've got coming up in the next few weeks. Even a point would have been good for them to, to try and build from somewhere. Um but Wolves couldn't make it, as we just said. They couldn't do the the three wins on the bounce against Manchester City, but they did all right. They've they've got good results against the the top teams in the past, but their their solid seasons are also t- tend to be built on consistent performances and results against the teams that they should be expected to beat. And I think West Ham certainly fall within that category. 
Um, they've actually won all four of their games against West Ham since being promoted and they're, they're also yet to concede. So I think the writing might be on the wall for this one, but um, it's no surprise to see them as favourites. 2.24 um, and those odds give them a 45% chance to win. West Ham at 3.54, which is a 28% chance and the draw is around 3.32, uh, which is 30%. Um, we have got a low total here, 2 and 2.5 and... I think with Wolves' consistent defence, West Ham's, I mean, it's it's been up and down, but a usually poor attack. It's it's pretty to see why the pretty easy to see why the totals around that mark. But what does Infogol make of this one? Yeah, this is um, again we're so early in the season; it's really hard to gauge what what these teams are about. Obviously, West Ham put in a really poor performance against Newcastle, then came out against Arsenal. Were really unfortunate not to get the win. Um, you know that. That that for me that that was a really really good performance against an Arsenal team that everyone's raving about. Um, Enketia's goal late on uh, accounted for over half of Arsenal's ex- total expected goals of of one point three three. And you know if Mikel Antonio had his shooting boots on, it would have been uh, game over after his goal. Um, at Forty five minutes he scored. He had a big chance at fifty three minutes, and then had another big chance at sixty seven. So. Um, West Ham could have had this game wrapped up quite comfortably. Uh, it was only for poor finishing that they didn't. But positive signs, really, the fact that they went there and, and played in an attacking manner and took the game to Arsenal and really did deserve something from that game. So, um, you know, although they have a tough run of fixtures, it's good to see that they're going to be swinging and, and you know, not just rolling over for their opponents. And I think that they're going to have to do um, something similar here against Wolves, who I think are a better team than Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to see what's happening. I think the the fact that they created be- uh, more chances is definitely a positive moving forward. Whether they'll be able to replicate that against this stubborn Wolves defence uh, remains to be seen. I think these two played um, first game out of lockdown and, and Wolves won quite convincingly 2-0. So um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a similar result here given how, uh, how highly we regard Wolves. They were... Really impressive for a 20-minute spell against Manchester City were Wolves. It looked like the game was over at 2-0, but they did. They rallied well um, and created plenty of good chances. They found some urgency. Um, and, you know, they had a couple of half chances. Obviously, Jimenez had one that came across the goal and he, he put wide. Podence went through one-on-one and chipped it over the bar. So, um, you know, they, they really did impress in that 20-minute spell and showcase what they are about and what they're capable of. But... Um, yeah, the last away game was was a very happy one. Uh, Tuned up after six minutes, created plenty after that, and, and cruised to a victory. So, yeah, there's a lot to like about Wolves. I think this season going forward, um, there's a few people questioning their their transfer business. Obviously, Jota and Doherty moving on, but it looks as though they, they're going to be bringing in Nelson Semedo from Barcelona, right wing back to slot in there. Um, that'll free Adama Traore to play further up the pitch, which I think is is an exciting proposition. Uh, I think Podence has been really impressive the first two games that I've seen him. He looks lively, low centre of gravity, um, very capable attacking player, very similar to a, a Jota mould in, in the way that he plays. So uh, I think they're in a good place to, to have another good season. I think he said there Wolves around a 45% chance of getting the win on the market. Uh, we're at 44%, so there isn't too much value there in in, in getting on side with a Wolves win. The goal line's low, understandably. Uh, it's a short price of under 2.5. We think that it probably should be a little bit shorter. It's a 58% on the market. We're at 60%. Um, but I'll, the bet I like the most is, is the both teams to score no angle. Um, 
the market's pretty split evenly on the both teams to score, um, yes or no. The model's at 54% chance of both teams to score, no. So, um, yeah, that, that's a decent value play, given the way that Wolves defend. Um, they don't give up too many big chances. I, I can see them holding Wolves uh, at West Ham at arm's length and uh, and making it very, very difficult for them to create anything. So, both teams to score, no, is a bet that I do like in this one. Well, on we go to Fulham versus Aston Villa and Fulham were on the wrong end of one of those leads, 4-3 results, I mean, despite having the better of the chances. And it's another one where Fulham were chasing the game for the most part. So we do need to consider game state there a little bit as well. But before that, they were really poor against Arsenal though. So we'll have to wait and see what kind of Fulham show up for this one, I guess. Um, in terms of Aston Villa, I think if you if you play against 10 men for two thirds of the game, you have your opponent miss a penalty, you create 1.04 XG and you still come away from a game with three points. You have to consider yourself pretty fortunate. Uh, that's obviously exactly what happened with Villa. They're betting the new players in. I, I think when you're expecting to fight for relegation, you're obviously going to take whatever points you can, but performances like that will certainly have to improve if they're to they're going to stay up over the course of the season. In terms of the market for this one, it's... It's quite a weird one, a difficult one to work out. I think for betters, it's it's really evenly split here with Fulham at 2.95, the draw at 3.31 and Aston Villa at 2.57. Um, really interested to hear your thoughts on these odds, Jake, and, and if there's any value according to InfoGoal. Um, yeah, decent value. We, we make Fulham favourites to win. I've got to say I'm quite surprised about that given the way that Aston Villa finished last season and obviously started this time around and how vulnerable Fulham have looked defensively since the, uh, the season started. So, um, yeah, I'd be tentative, tentative um, if I was to be picking anyone in the 1x2 market. I, I think these two teams with Fulham's home advantage are fairly evenly, uh, evenly rated. Fulham... It was a better performance against Leeds um, in terms of the rally. They obviously went 4-1 down, really made a good fist of it in the end and, and came close to nicking a draw. But they they looked so open defensively. Um, Arsenal exposed that. Leeds, obviously, although they were clinical with the finishing, did get into you know some really good scoring positions quite regularly. Uh, that's something that they really are going to have to improve on. Um, as, for, as for Aston Villa, picked up where they left off, really, in terms of the defensive numbers. Post-break, they averaged 1.04 expected goals against per game. Um, they played 10 times post-break, so that's a decent sample size. Uh, and, you know, although they played against a Sheffield United team with 10 men, they really only conceded 0.17 expected goals, uh, barring the penalty. So it was a really strong defensive display. Um, they had a lot go for them, obviously, with the red card and then the penalty miss. Um, but ultimately got a, a win, got over the line, which... It's not something that they managed to do um, a lot last season, especially when games were even. So, um, yeah, it's a really good three points for them. But for me, the, the main takeaway is that they they still look pretty stable at the back, which is rather impressive. And obviously, they have brought in um, a few more attacking players. I think Bertrand Traore's deal got done. He was in the stands. He, he could well be making an appearance in this game. Um, Ollie Watkins, I thought, was a, he was a little bit quiet, but he, he's a constant handful. Obviously, it led to the sending off uh, of John Egan. So, yeah, there, there's a lot to like about what Villa are doing at the moment. I think building from the back is the, is definitely the way forward. And it's something that I think Fulham could take a um, real note of and, and try and do themselves. But having said that, I do like the look of the overs at, at, at around even money. I think the, the fact that Fulham are so vulnerable at the back, this is probably a game that Fulham will have had down as, as a as a 
winnable, if not must-win game um, to start the season. A home game against a team that is expected to be in the drop zone as well or in and around the relegation scrap. So I think that at some point they're going to have to have a go and, and they're already defensively vulnerable. And when they when they attack, they're only going to be even more so um, uh, vulnerable at the back. So the overs does make quite a bit of appeal. Um, the market, like I said, is around even money, slight odds against. Um, the, the model's at 52%, so odds on um, over, over 2.5 goals. And, and that is a bet that I do quite like the look of. The same with both teams to score, really. I think that although Villa have shown defensive um, solidity, I think that they, they can still be uh, pretty vulnerable. Um, you know, we saw that Sheffield United pretty much had one break in the entire game and, and resulted in a penalty. Fulham do have some tricky players. Uh, obviously, Mitrovic is a bit of a battering ram and a bit of a handful up front. So, um, yeah, hopefully we see quite an entertaining game. Uh, it's, well, it's going to go one of two ways, given that the these two teams are likely see this as, as a must-win or very winnable game. It could either go really high scoring like we saw last see, last week or or we could see a very dull, cagey um, one-nil either way. Um, hopefully we see the, the, the four, former in quite an entertaining game. But um, yeah, both teams score is a small value play as well. 56% chance of that happening. Uh, the market's around 53%. So decent value there in the both teams to score. But um, yeah, I think a, a, a slightly bigger price. I think I'd chance the overs. Right, next it's Liverpool versus Arsenal and last but not least, it's also Pinnacle's highlight fixture for the weekend and I think it could be a, a pretty decent game to end on. Um, it's It's been known to be entertaining in the past, especially after that, was it f- four all or five all in the cup last year or some yeah. ridiculous scoreline? Five, five. Yeah, um, I mean both these two, they're, they're two from two, something's got to give and, and I think based on Recent performances from the two sides, even the two games we've seen, based on the last couple of years' worth of performances from the two sides, you have to think that it's it's Liverpool that are going to be winning this one. Um, Arsenal looked decent, okay, against uh, what should be a, a pretty poor West Brom side. Um, they were then lucky to get the three points against West Ham, as we've already said. Um, no bias here, but I think a lot of people will be claiming that West Ham should have easily won that game. And I think the argument <laughs> backs up when you look at 1.33 XG for Arsenal and, and 2.32 for West Ham. Um, but Liverpool, they they were the opposite. They looked pretty comfortable this season, both of their games, despite the, the 4-3 against Leeds that we've talked about at length. Um, and obviously the, the 2-0 against Chelsea. Thiago has finally come in. Maybe they listened to the podcast, Jake, and signed him up. Um, but they've also <laughs> got Jota so. coming in. <laughs> Jota comes in and, and I guess that's more a case of if one of those front three do get injured then I mean you've got some pretty decent backup there for him as well um, Pinnacle, Pinnacle's odds suggest that Liverpool have a 65% chance of winning the game because they're priced at 1.487 um, those that think it will live up to expectation or or reputation for an entertaining game can get the over three goals um, at 1.862 which is currently the favourite I doubt you're going to end the show by fighting for Liverpool's uh, for Arsenal's cause, Jake. But how much value is there in Liverpool's price? Do you think, or, or would you be looking more towards the goals markets? Yeah, surprisingly, there isn't too much value in Liverpool's price uh, based on the Infocom model. Um, I think that's partly down to an increase in Arsenal's rating um, over the last however many games since the restart. They, they have been a little bit more assured at the back. I think that's definitely had something to do with it. But yeah, Liverpool, uh, we're giving them a 56% chance of getting the win. So, um, you know, strong odds on favourites, but 
not as strong as what, what the market suggests. However, I definitely wouldn't oppose them in this. I think that Liverpool are a sh- not a sure thing, but I think if they carry on playing the way they are, they, they could make really light work of Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, I'll be definitely be looking for the, at the goals market. But just want to touch on Liverpool. I think Thiago's signing is, is fantastic. He brings them something different in midfield uh, to what they've already got. He dominates and dictates games. Yeah, his passing through the lines is, is fantastic. And I think that could be really key in this match because Arsenal are, um, you know, as I've said, they've looked much more assured and, and solid defensively, predominantly due to the fact that those two holding midfielders have been um, very solid in front of uh, the back three. So someone to be able to pass through those two is going to be key in this game for Liverpool breaking Arsenal down. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see him play more, to be honest. I think he's a fantastic player. I also really like the Jota signing. It's a very smart deal. I think he, he's only young, 23, 24 years old. He's, his underlying numbers since joining Wolves uh, have been excellent, really. Um, I think averaged around 0.5 expected goal involvements per average match um, since he joined Wolves, which is excellent. I think he was at 0.46 expected goals per average match last season. Um, so, yeah, he, he's going to be a really, really key player for Liverpool, especially if... Um, you know, one of Mane, Firmino or Salah gets injured because he, he is capable of playing all across the front three. So really good business from Liverpool. Their performances so far this season, I think, have been excellent. Um, I know a couple of people aren't sold. I was really impressed with them against Leeds. It was only a couple of a couple of clinical finishes that, that made that scoreline look tight. Um, and against Chelsea as well, the penalty really inflates their expected goals. Um, Barring the penalty, Chelsea created 0.19 expected goals in the in the entire match. I can't even remember them Chelsea having a shot in the first half with 11 men on the pitch. Um, and even when they had 10 men on the pitch, Liverpool were just rampant and, and extremely dominant. The front three looked like they were clicking. They'd, the first goal, I thought, was fantastic. Really, really good team goal. Um, and ultimately, fully deserved win at what arguably is a tough place to go. Chelsea, who... Finished third in our expected goals table last season. So, um, yeah, really impressed with what I'm seeing from Liverpool. Um, yeah, If you just look at the raw XG numbers, they've picked up or racked up uh, 5.9 expected goals already. Um, allowed just 0.5 if you take away the penalty uh, of Jorginho. So, really impressive underlying numbers. <clears throat> um, and, yeah, very rightly strong favourites in my opinion. Arsenal, yeah, I did want to. I wanted to hold judgment of Arsenal. Um, obviously, they, they picked up a really impressive win and did so in an impressive manner against Fulham. But we're expected Fulham to be the whipping boys, and uh, the fact that Leeds put four goals past them really does suggest that could well be the case. Um, yeah, so I, I did want to reserve judgment of Arsenal after that one game. Didn't want to get carried away, um, and yeah. I think that I think I was proved right. Really, I think that the performance against West Ham I thought was shocking. I thought they were exceptionally poor. They were really fortunate to get out of there with a win. Um, I think West Ham were were really unfortunate. Arsenal had maybe five shots in the game in total, uh, or six shots inside the box. Two of those were were big chances, which were both taken, and and that's something that we have seen from Arsenal regularly um, this season already, and and back in the last season was the. the, the the rate at which they took their big chances was uh, extremely clinical and, and highly unsustainable over the course of, uh, of a long period of time. So one to keep an eye on. It's definitely, you know, if you remember back to the last meeting of these two teams at the Emirates, um, that was something that, that, that happened as well. I think Arsenal had three shots in the game in total um, and scored twice to get a, a, a 2-1 win. 
Liverpool were dominant in that match. They created chance after chance after chance and uh, and ended up losing. A similar performance from both teams in this match, I, I think, would, would definitely result in a Liverpool win. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Liverpool win this quite comfortably. Um, yeah, I was really disappointed with what I saw from Arsenal. I thought they were really easy to play against. West Ham really uh, exploited their weaknesses very well. And I think Liverpool will do so again. Um, yeah, the goal market, I'm, I think the, the the market's probably got it spot on. 62% chance of the overs. The model's at 56% chance of the overs. So that suggesting that there is a little bit of value in, in backing the under 2.5. But a bet that I do like instead is, is backing against both teams to score. Um, the market's at 43% chance of both teams to score. No, the model's at 45%. Um, and I could see that Liverpool winning this game to nil as comfortably as they beat Chelsea, to be honest. So you're going, your selection, we're going with both teams to score no, correct? That's right, yeah. Uh, slight odds against, I think, maybe 2.25. And looking at the Pinnacles market numbers, we're going with Liverpool minus one that's currently at 1.775. Um, as I said, we'll always publish these and, and keep the running track going. Every After every game week, we'll see how results are doing. And, and before every game week, we'll post our prices up online. Um but that is it for today. All of our fixtures have been covered. Once again, Jake, much, much appreciate the the time and, and thanks for coming on to share the insight. Been a pleasure. Let's hope for a 2-0 win for Liverpool against Arsenal. There we go. We both want to win, don't we? <laughs> we um, both want to win, yeah. Well, it's it's been a pleasure as always, Jake. Some, some great insights shared and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and help our listeners find some of that value in the market. If you do want to take your analysis to the next level and and look at the data that we've discussed in more detail, remember to visit infogold.net, download the Infogold app on iOS and Android and follow at Infogold app on Twitter. You'll also get plenty of help with your predictions by following at Pinnacle on Twitter and reading the articles that can be found on the betting resources section of the Pinnacle website. All of the odds for this weekend's action are now live on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.